Welcome back to the Natural Health 365 podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Landsman. Our show today, Good Medicine for Viral Infections. Our guest, Dr. Lee Leet, received her bachelor's and master's degree from the College of William and Mary and her medical degree from Eastern Virginia Medical School with an internship in internal medicine. To pursue neuroendocrinology and mind-body medicine, she completed specialty training in behavioral medicine at Johns Hopkins Hospital and is board certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. Dr. Vliet is the author of five widely acclaimed health books, focused primarily on women's health, and is the CEO, Chief Medical Officer of Vive Life Center with medical practices in Arizona and Texas focused on preventative medicine. Dr. Vliet's unique medical work takes a connects-the-dot approach to evaluating and treatment of men's and women's with complex medical problems. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Lee Vliet to our podcast. Dr. Vliet, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's great to have you as well, Dr. Vliet. We've got a lot of really important things to go over today. I've listened to you in several other interviews that you've had out there on the internet, and I've been thoroughly impressed, I have to tell you. A lot of people, Dr. Vliet, are so concerned, obviously, about COVID-19 and the whole situation that's going on. So many people are fearful. Let them hear from you as a medical professional. How dangerous do you feel this virus really is to human health? Well, I think clearly COVID-19 has been very infectious. I think it has also caused devastating complications later in the course of the illness, when particularly by the time people get to the hospital, there are severe reactions unlike other viral pneumonias in that COVID-19 tends to cause a massive exaggerated inflammatory response called a cytokine storm that can be extremely damaging to critical organs, the heart, lungs, kidney, and brain, for example, particularly the lungs. And it has triggered an acute respiratory syndrome in hospitalized patients that has been very challenging for critical care doctors to treat because it does, it is different from the normal viral pneumonia. And Jonathan, I think one of the things that I would like to point out from the standpoint of my interest and work in preventive medicine, one of the things that's been very striking in the United States compared to other countries is that we have used the antiviral medicine, hydroxychloroquine with zinc and vitamin C, we've used that only at the end stage for hospitalized patients Governors intervened and restricted its use for outpatients, and I'll come back to that. But around the world, hydroxychloroquine has actually been used for prevention of the infection because it serves not only as a prophylaxis to prevent people from getting sick, 
it also then, once someone's exposed, studies in the U.S. going back to 15 years showed that it blocked the virus from entering the cell using the ACE2 receptor, and it blocked, it helped facilitate zinc transport across the cell membrane so that the combination of zinc and hydroxychloroquine actually blocked the virus from multiplying. So if you look at the world data, which I have done and I track it regularly, the countries like India, China, South Korea, France, Israel, all of the countries that are using hydroxychloroquine very early, either as prophylaxis to give once a week doses to their doctors and nurses to keep them from getting sick, or as soon as someone's exposed, they give the treatment dose, which is a five-day course, 400 milligrams hydroxychloroquine a day, with or without azithromycin, and usually it's given with zinc and vitamin C. If that is done by the first five days after exposure and symptoms develop, countries have found that they can keep people out of the hospital and off of ventilators, which is the best of preventive medicine. So that was my interest. And then in the United States, I began finding that we were not allowed to use it early. In most states, the governors started intervening and overruling the FDA regulations that allow doctors at any time to prescribe a medication that the FDA approved. We can prescribe it off-label at any time for patients we think it could help. And that's always been the case since World War II when the FDA was started. And suddenly, with this illness, we had doctors being restricted by politicians and governors stepping in the middle saying, no, in our state, you can't prescribe it for outpatients. You can only prescribe it in the hospital. Well, the hospital's too late. That's when the patients are the sickest. The virus has done so much damage. And that's why we have had such a high death rate. I was looking at the world data the last week of April, and the countries like India and South Korea, Costa Rica, Brazil, that were using it prophylactically and preventively right after someone started having symptoms, they all had less than 10 deaths per million population. The United States at that point had 193 deaths per million population. So we were orders of magnitude higher death rate because the governor Cuomo in New York led the charge of the, the most restrictive order in the United States by a politician came from Governor Cuomo in New York State. He restricted hydroxychloroquine to only hospitalized patients, only on a clinical trial. Well, you know as well as I do that smaller hospitals don't have the staff to develop a clinical trial in the setting of an acute emergency where they're just desperately trying to save lives. And remember, doctors and nurses were under an even bigger onslaught. Those that were working in hospitals, and my work is all outpatient ambulatory medicine, 
But the doctors that are working on the front lines in emergency rooms and ICUs and hospital units focused on COVID-19 patients, they were seeing something very different from what they were used to seeing with viral pneumonia. This is a novel coronavirus, even though coronavirus has been around for ages as part of the flu syndrome and flu family. And, and they were, they had their hands full just desperately trying to figure out what are we dealing with? How do we come up with something that we can use that will help the patients that we're seeing? We didn't have time to design a clinical trial. These ivory tower researchers, Dr. Fauci at NIH, is not a frontline doctor. He is not on the front lines taking care of dying patients and trying to keep people who are sick out of the hospital. And it's unconscionable to me. In fact, I really think it's criminal negligence that we have had governors tying the hands of doctors across this country at the most serious medical emergency public health crisis we have ever had in my lifetime. With the economy shut down, people losing jobs, people losing homes, people losing businesses, and the governors are stepping in saying you can't prescribe a medicine that's working around the world. This is outrageous. And and I get very tired of hearing this German proper researcher who's in an ivory tower saying, well, it's only anecdotal information. That is total baloney. When you have clinical trials from a dozen different countries where they have treated a series of over a thousand patients and they're monitoring those outcomes and evaluating the patients, that is not anecdotal. It is a clinical outcomes trial. It is accepted medical evidence for everything else we do in medicine. And to dismiss that in the face of people dying, as we've seen, is I, I absolutely think it is unconscionable. And we have heard recently that Attorney General Barr is concerned about the violation of civil liberties with governors issuing overly restrictive stay-at-home orders and banning all sorts of things. The Michigan governor is the example of the ultimate dictator micromanaging your life. You can't buy vegetable seeds, you can't buy uh, paint, you can't go out in a motorboat by yourself, you can go out in a canoe but not a motorboat. I mean, this is, uh, this is absurd and it's very, very dangerous. But they are micromanaging lives at a time we need to be creative and let doctors do what they do best, which is work with medicines we have available. And the thing that is so tragic, we have donated over 50 million doses of hydroxychloroquine sitting in the national stockpile, donated by major pharmaceutical companies, no cost to the patient to be able to use it. And it's sitting there. I've been working with Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, who's chairman of the Senate Oversight Committee for Government Affairs and Homeland Security. Literally, I've been working with him almost on a daily basis since early April, trying to find a way to override these FDA restrictions to hospitalized use and the governor's orders for hospitalized use only. 
And it's, it's just truly staggering. So we have been trying to free up the access to the medicines that were donated. People are saying, well, it's just big pharma that's trying to prevent us from getting two drugs. That is absolutely not the case in this situation. They have been in the past in other situations. It is not the cause this time. It is a political decision by governors and the FDA's political decision to restrict the use in the outpatient setting for hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, but you know, Dr. Vliet, if I can just jump in for a moment, I know a lot of people watching this podcast, they get a lot of what you're saying already. We've written a lot about hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc, that cocktail being used by a New York doctor, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. And at the time that I interviewed him, it was like 699 people outside of the hospital that he was giving it to that kept them out of the hospital. It prevented them from really most of them, the vast majority, never needed to go in, never needed a ventilator. Everything's fine. When you say it's political, I couldn't agree with you more. But a lot of people also probably feel like this is pharmaceutical agenda driven because it seems like everything that Dr. Fauci wants to do is always so quick to put down an inexpensive mixture, if you will, of hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc. The five-day treatment protocol that you're referring to, it's about $20 per patient. The pharmaceutical industry can't make a lot of money on it. He's quick on poo-poo about that, disregarding all the things you mentioned around the world with people successfully doing it and feeling fine. And then he's so up on remdesivir, which is like this experimental drug from the pharmaceutical industry that they can patent, they can own, and they can make billions of dollars. So it seems like there's a lot of power, control, and money agenda stuff that is driving all this. What's your take, please? Well, I will say that it's not primarily the pharmaceutical industry driving this. It is Dr. Fauci and the NIH, because the NIH has a lot of these patents on the drug. Gilead developed remdesivir in conjunction with the NIH, CDC, Department of the Army, and they had $70 million initial funding from U.S. taxpayers. And the patents are jointly held at NIH. It, it's money coming back to NIH funding the research kingdoms of these people in the different areas. I am not going to lay all of the blame on the pharmaceutical industry because they are not the primary culprits in this situation. This is agenda driven by Dr. Fauci's longstanding interest in and connection with the vaccine lobby, Bill Gates, the Gates Foundation, the World Health Organization, emphasis on vaccines, right, and the fact that, that NIH itself holds patents on a number of these processes for the HIV, vac uh, HIV treatment. We don't have a vaccine for HIV or SARS-CoV-1. So these, these RNA viruses are tricky to develop a vaccine for in the first place. 
In the second place, there's some potentially very concerning problems. If you are modifying the RNA of the virus, then the question becomes, are you, is the vaccine modifying the RNA of the host? Well, right. the host happens to be us. So uh, there are a lot of questions about this vaccine, number one. Number two, there is a lot of money to, to be made on vaccines, on remdesivir. And the other aspect about remdesivir, not the pharmaceutical company, the largest shareholder that stands to gain here is BlackRock Financial Services, which is one of the largest financial manager, asset managers in the world. And BlackRock owns 8.4% of Gilead Pharmaceutical Company. It's the largest shareholder in Gilead Sciences. So BlackRock stands to gain and the shareholders of Gilead, I understand and I need to look into this a little further, but I understand that another entity has bought Gilead, so it, the money trail becomes more complicated. And China is also seeking the patent on remdesivir for COVID-19. Now, this patent was already developed in the U.S., but they are now seeking to compete with the U.S. patent to, for COVID-19. So China stands to gain financially from the use of remdesivir. We can't just say it's the pharmaceutical industry. It is much bigger than that. And actually, I would say far more insidious and far more dangerous when China is the one seeking the patent on remdesivir for COVID-19. We have another set of problems. China is the country that lied about the exposure of COVID-19 in its population, and then we're sending its citizens around the world on international flights after they already had locked down Wuhan and were not letting Chinese citizens leave Wuhan by car, plane, train, or foot to go anywhere in China, but they were still sending them on flights around the world. They knew that they had a, an infectious disease. They knew it was human-to-human -human transmission at the time they were sending people on those international flights. If we had not had a president who blocked the flights from that area of China, January 31st, we would have been even more decimated than we already are. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. There's no doubt. I'm not saying it's just Big Pharma. It is clearly a push, Dr. Bleet, as I'm sure you're aware of, for vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. And I'd like to close out our conversation here because I tend to like to have these shows a little brief and just have people, you know, get a hit of this information. And then I urge them to just, you know, look into this more themselves. But there is no doubt in my mind that Gates is pushing for a vaccine agenda. And obviously, Dr. Fauci is doing the same thing and advising the president of the United States. And it's just go, go, go develop these vaccine facilities and vaccinate everybody before life can go back to normal. It's amazing how they're all in that way, but they won't do any kind of research. They won't keep an open mind at all about some of the things that we know full well are natural, perfectly safe. You can't patent them. Antivirals, antibacterial agents like Vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, you've already mentioned as well, selenium. Talk about a little bit of these things that people can do to 
reduce the inflammation in their body, all of those good things as we close out. We just got a few minutes left. Well, a couple of quick points. Most people are deficient in vitamin D, and you can ask your primary care doctor to check a blood level of 25-hydroxy vitamin D, and most people would benefit from supplementing vitamin D, taking extra vitamin C, making sure that you're getting adequate zinc, and that might be something you want to discuss with your doctor. I'm recommending for my patients a baseline of 15 milligrams a day. Some people recommend a little bit more. Selenium should be part of that. But also, processed foods lead to more inflammation in the body. You need to be focused on fresh whole foods. You need to be focused on getting out in the sunshine, exercise, meditation, prayer. All of these mind-body medicine techniques help boost your immune function, reduce stress, reduce your vulnerability to infection. The governors who are recommending that people stay inside are absolutely flying in the face of the best medicine we have. We knew in the 1918 flu pandemic, the Spanish flu, when so many people died, people started getting better when they started moving their hospital beds outside. In the Dr. Vliet, you know what I'm concerned about? This really hit me as you're speaking. This second wave that they're talking about, I mean... No doubt. It's not a joke. Everybody's inside. Nobody's moving around as much. Everybody's living in a constant state of fear, which is ridiculous. Your immune system's going down. Then they're supposed to go outside and feel like, hey, you know, if I get a bacterial or viral introduction into my body, hey, my immune system's just going to take care of it. No, you're going to be more susceptible to being infected and getting sick. Doesn't that make sense? I really think that uh, they, the governors that have been so extremely restrictive have actually done more damage. And there have been a lot of physicians speaking on the national news about that very point. You stay in, inside in the home with recirculated air. It's no different from being on an airplane with recirculated air, except airplane filters are probably better than what most people have in their homes. You need to be outside. You need to be getting fresh air. You need to be getting exercise. Exercise boosts your immune function. Being sedentary, eating processed foods makes your immune system worse stress and fear. Everywhere I go, Dr. Vliet, every time I go into a store, it just makes me crazy. And of course, I'm not jumping down somebody's throat who I don't know, but I watch it. As I go in, I get, you know, organic bananas or organic apples or whatever I get. And I stand online six feet apart and I see everybody legally being able to buy artificial colors, artificial flavors, donuts, cakes, beer. They're getting, I mean, cases of this stuff. They're getting the worst possible snacks, the bag, the box cookies, all the desserts, all the frozen packaged food with all the garbage in it. It's just everywhere I look. Everybody's covering up their mask with a mask. Everybody's extremely overweight. Everybody's completely out of shape. Everybody's eating so poorly and they're going, I'm wearing a mask so I feel protected. Are you kidding me? They're all so susceptible to being infected. That's exactly right. And the people that are massively overweight even if they don't yet have diabetes, they tend to have prediabetes or insulin resistance. Their glucose level and insulin levels are too high. 
which then creates more inflammation in the body. And that's a whole other topic is insulin resistance and predisposing to viral illnesses, for example. So the we, we really need to get back to the basics that you've been promoting, I've been promoting my whole career, and look at an integrative approach. But fundamentally, vitamins alone, with COVID-19, we do need, in this case, to have the antiviral medicine added to it, but we have cheap options that have been used for 70 years safely. I want to comment very quickly. This fatal cardiac arrhythmia that the media fearmongers are emphasizing, I want your listeners to know the FDA's data shows 62 cardiac deaths related to hydroxychloroquine out of 50 million prescriptions. I'm so glad you said that. That is a percentage of 0.000124% or 1.2 million, uh, sorry, 1.2 deaths out of 1 million prescriptions. Right. Your chance of dying in a fatal car accident on a thousand mile road trip is one out of 366. Right. Of dying of a fatal arrhythmia with hydroxychloroquine is basically one out of 1 million. Dr. Bleet, I, I look. I would appreciate another time with you where we can go into more of these things. I hope alone, my message is always, stop being so afraid. And that's not being disrespectful. My point is always, look, what is it you're really worried about? Does it bother you that you're eating poorly, you're drinking something bad, you could get away from toxins, but you don't yet? Whatever it might be that you think you need to get busy doing right now, so that you can feel stronger and more confident about your future health, please do it. I encourage people to think more. I encourage people to get a good physician on their team, someone like you, that they can counsel with so that the fears stay down and so that a person's giving good thought to what they need to do next and they need to take action. That is my final message for today. Dr. Vliet, I'll give you the last word before I tell people where they can get more info about you. Fear is false expectations appearing real. Knowledge is power. And the more you have reliable knowledge, the more it relieves fear. So take charge of your health and do as Jonathan suggests. Dr. Bleeth, this is great. For those of you who are listening on audio, that's great. Not watching the video where her website is right there. It's uh, Dr. Dr. Bleeth. Well, let's talk about your website. Maybe just let them know where they can get more information on you. VivLifeCenter.com. That's V-I-V-E, LifeCenter.com. And I have a button on the homepage, Coronavirus Updates. I have podcasts, I have free articles, my books are there, and information on how you can have a second opinion or become an established patient. All of that's on our website, so please check it out. That's great. Dr. Vliet, I so appreciate your time, and I want to thank all of you listening and watching for joining us today. 
We'll be producing more of these Natural Health 365 podcasts coming up soon. All kinds of new technology you're going to see coming into this so that we can connect with you. And the bottom line is so that we can get really good quality, scientifically grounded information over to you so that you can feel really good and not live in a constant state of fear. That'll never help anybody. So thank you very much for joining us, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care, everybody.